All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1,232 points, or 4%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 180 points, or 4.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 580 points, or 5.1%. For the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 18.6%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 22.5%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 30.5%. And the bear market continues. Well, uh, the theme for this week is Tina is dead. I heard that multiple times, which kicked <laughs> off the week with the Fed increasing rates, 75 basis points, which is expected. And hence the week that we just had. And, and let's explain, and let's explain to our listeners what TINA means. TINA is what it means and what it stands for is there is no alternative. And it seems like post the financial crisis when the federal, when, when the Fed was keeping the federal funds rate pretty much at zero, since the financial crisis, it was leading investors to pretty much one primary asset class to generate any kind of growth in their portfolio, and that was into the stock market. And so that's where the acronym TINA came from. There was, there is no alternative from when comparing stocks to bonds, but that is dead, as you said, Joe. That is but you dead. know what's come back from the dead? This is the silver lining, and I've had this conversation with clients this past week, the silver lining of the Fed raising interest rates. What's come back from the dead is the 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Now, am I saying that's where we're allocated right now? No, No. that is not where we're allocated right now. The point is is that there was a a period of time when that 40%, as Kyle just talked about, was making very little because interest rates were so low for so long. We ourselves in managing money, and I can't tell you 
precisely what what time in the past. It's been some time in the last five years. We even strayed from the 60-40 portfolio for a moderate asset allocation client and went as high as 70% stocks and 30% bonds because interest rates were so low. And that low interest rates were fueling, at times, uh, very nice gains in stocks. So we stopped being 70% invested in stocks in February of 2020, right before COVID hit. That was the end of us having a 70% allocation, a maximum asset allocation to stocks. And at that moment in time, we actually did have a 70% asset allocation to stocks. That's more than two years approaching three years ago. All through COVID, we were never we never again got to 70% invested in stocks. I think we got into the low 60% invested in stocks, post, uh, which is post the COVID pullback. Post, you know, you know after, COVID, after the COVID pullback in, in March of 2020. And we started the year roughly at that same spot and then very quickly uh, reduced our asset allocations to, portfolio, to, to stocks over uh, a period of time. The June loans, June lows came. Uh, we had this big run up. There's a lot of a lot of talk amongst the pundits, us included, about whether that June number was going to that that June low was going to hold as uh, the low for this bear market move. We looked at we looked at all these statistics about bear markets of the past and trying to compare them to to those past bear markets, and you know looked there for a moment that 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 June low was going to hold, and Shazam. The CPI numbers started coming in much worse than expected, and the Federal Reserve had to take both feet and both hands and put them on the put them on the the brakes. And when they put their both feet and both hands on the brakes, that means interest rates are going higher. And in the week just passed, the uh, the markets didn't get any sort of soothing kind words from the Federal Reserve governor. And as Joe said. Uh, raising rates again, 75 basis points. That's three in a row. You got to go back to the 1990s, the last time that happened. And uh, the decline that started a few weeks ago in the S&P Dow NASDAQ continued. And on Friday, we got to a new intraday low on the Dow. Is that correct, Joe? Well, the, well, the Dow, the Dow yes. got to a, 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 a new closing low. A new closing low for the year. got to an intraday low, I thought. Well, and I can tell you that the S&P 500 got very, very close. On Friday, the S&P had an intraday low of 36.47. The previous intraday low was 36.36. But the S&P was able to close above the previous low for the year, which occurred back on June the 16th of 36.66. So... We've talked on past shows that going back more than 50 years, when you have the type of 50% retracement from a low that we had in June, where we saw the market run up 17, roughly 17.4%, hit against the 200-day moving average, and we said you know, that we had been slowly, incrementally adding to our equity positions very slowly from that June low, but we said that this might not be over and that the, the market could come back down to its June lows, but going back 50 years, 
it hasn't violated or gone below that. Now, obviously, we still have a lot of time left in this year to see if that statistic is going to hold true. Um, the way things were shaping up on Friday, I thought we were going to be able to go below that and and make an you know a new low for the year of the S and P five hundred. So we'll have to wait and see if uh, if these levels hold, if these support levels hold, and we get a bounce off of that. But when we come back from our first commercial break, I wanted to talk a little bit about what kind of added to some of the selling post the Fed meeting on Wednesday when they increased seventy five basis points, which again was kind of already in the cards and baked into the market. So we'll talk more about that after this commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps, or you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, we're continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week. And as we were talking about in the last segment, uh, you know, the S&P 500 on Friday got very, very close intraday uh, to the intraday lows that were reached June of uh, just a few months back in the summertime. Didn't go below it, didn't violate it, and actually did not make a new closing low for the year, but was very, very close. Um for the S&P 500, but the one thing I wanted to talk about is what really accelerated interest rates post the Federal Reserve meeting on Wednesday where the FOMC uh, had their meeting, raised interest rates, 75 basis points. We've talked on past shows that was in the bag. I mean, that like, I think I said a couple shows ago, take that to Vegas, bet the house on it. It's going to be 75 basis points, which was correct. But what happened on Thursday, and this really happened Thursday overnight when we were all asleep at around 3 a.m., the Bank of Japan decided that they wanted to help prop up the value of the yen because the U.S. dollar, with all the interest rate increases we've seen so far this year and the fact that the Federal Reserve is so much further ahead in their tightening cycle curve than the rest of the central banks around the world, the U.S. dollar has just been on an absolute mad tear. And so for the Bank of Japan to try to bring the value of their yen against the dollar up, they decided, well, hey, we're going to help prop it up. And we're going to help prop it up by starting to buy yen, starting to buy the yen. But in order for them to do that, they had to get liquid. And so they had to go out and start selling treasury bonds. And when the price of the treasury bond goes down, the yields go up. That triggered yields to spike quite a bit just between the Wednesday meeting Thursday and Friday of this past week. Well, we all know that almost 60% of daily trading and volume in the U.S. stock market is done by algorithms. And so what happened is interest rates spiked. There was algorithms that are tied. If interest rates start going up, then we've got to start selling assets on the stock side, particularly in the growth and the growth side of the market, a lot of in the technology 
uh, asset class or the technology sector, and it created this kind of waterfall effect of why we saw so much selling post-Fed meeting. So it was really triggered by Bank of Japan trying to prop up the yen. And so that's important to understand, just like two weeks ago, where we had a situation where the markets were reacting to another external force, another external event of options contracts before the CPI number came out on September the 13th, which caused the market to take a leg lower when traders were trying to unload these leveraged call options before that they put on before the consumer price index came out on September the 13th. So cause and effect. I'm sorry I got a little esoteric and deep into the weeds, but you have to understand as, a, as an investor the different mechanisms that are involved in some of the explanations of the cause and effect. And that was one of the big causes for the tail end of this week being down as it was. So you're blaming Japan. I, I, I don't Japan know. Japan definitely, was definitely a cause. J- Japan was definitely a cause, Joe, because you can just look at the Treasury yields, and it's particularly in the 10-year of how far it spiked up, and it wasn't after the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by three-quarters of a percent. It was done on Thursday when Bank of Japan came out with that with uh, that announcement at 3 a.m. Central Time in the morning that triggered the 10-year Treasury yield to bump up, the two-year Treasury yield. Three, all the Treasury yields across the yield curve bumped up. Then that triggered algorithms to start selling stocks, and it started feeding on itself. I don't, you know, that's, that, that could be a contributing factor for there. Like you said, at the end of the, at the end of the week, to me, the the broader picture is, is that uh, as, as we all know, it's very difficult if you're going to be making investment decisions or trying, you know, and using whatever the Fed is saying at one moment in time as your primary source of information on making investment decisions. Because remember, these were the same group of people that said that they weren't raising rates in 2022, right? And now now we've had five interest rate increases this year, if my memory serves me correctly. The last three three being, being three quarters of a point each. Now uh, the Fed, the Federal Reserve in this in the uh, press conference afterwards, and you know during the original announcement, was saying that their new target for Fed funds by the end of 2022 is is over four percent. I'll just round it down to four percent, which is still three quarters of a percent higher, somewhere between one and three quarters of a percent higher than where we are right now. That's what the Fed is saying right now that they want to go 75 to 100 basis points higher. By the end of the year, that's the current target. Well, the current you, target under the current data and, available. And the current data Subject available. Subject to change. So unless you're going to get a substantial decline in the CPI number, which is still three weeks out, uh, I'd say there's a probably a pretty high probability that the next interest rate increase, which won't be until November, the first week of November, there is no meeting in October. It's actually November 1st and 2nd. Uh, that one, there's a high probability it's going to at least be 50 basis points, maybe 75 if this CPI number that comes out three weeks from now hasn't shown that much improvement. 
and you're going to get at least another quarter or a half percent by the end of the year that gets you to four. So where does that put, you know, a 10-year treasury? Where does that put the two-year, which has really been getting a lot of attention here? You know, normally the 10-year gets all the attention. But the, the real attention here lately on, on the yield curve has been at the short end because their yields are higher. They're, they're mostly in the 4% range, either 1, 2, 3, three years are approaching. Out. They're, 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 they're going they're, in between high all, threes and fours. Right, right, right. But they're, we'll just round it off to four, whereas the 10-year Treasury is still – you know, 20, 30 basis points there, thereabouts below 4%. Yes, Kyle. Yes, Joe. I was just well, going to say, it closed Friday at 3.687 yes. on the 10-year treasury. I was going to mention that, and I remember in previous shows, we talked about the 10-year being above 35 and at what rate or what yield would the 10-year be attractive? I don't think any of us were forecasting the two-year to be about 4.2%. You know, so for no, short-term well, no, money, but, two but, years. The yield curve is not shaped like, like a curve. Mm-mm. Well, maybe, yeah, I guess, well, you could kind of think it's in the reverse curve. It's kind of more like it's going the other way. It's almost like a fish hook. It's going the other way. But here's here's the the thing that's just to remind our listeners just to to give us some some, uh, idea of how far we've come. A year ago, a two-year treasury yielded two-tenths of a percent, 0.20 a year ago. Now it yields over four percent. That's nearly nearly four hundred basis points more. And so, what did we do this week? When you get the two-year yields up to what fifteen-year highs? Uh, since before the financial crisis, since we haven't seen the, yields. You have to go back to 07, 07, I think. 07. Yeah. You have to 07. go back to seven. So what Almost did we do years. in our portfolios? We bought, we bought locked in some of that money. We locked in and went out and bought some more treasuries out one and two years into the future and locked in a yield to maturity. If you hold the bonds mature, which we plan to do, we're going to have yield to maturities of over 4% in those, in those instruments. Now, I know we've got just a little bit of time left here before we go to break, but I, I like our listeners, you know, that are have their money managed by somebody else. Did your advisor take advantage of the highest interest rates in 15 years this week and buy some treasury bonds in your portfolio? Not ETFs, not bond mutual funds, actual U.S. treasury bonds and put them in your portfolio? Lock in the highest yield in 15 years? I think guess, I know the answer to that question. Well, and guess what? We still have a lot of powder dry. Well, we also have our 90-day Treasury maturing on December the 1st. So if the Fed continues to raise rates, as we anticipate they're going to, we could be continuing to build our ladder in our bond portfolio for all of our clients and continue to increase the total yield to maturity at higher rates as we go through the rest of the year. And like we said at the very beginning of the show, with Tina, there is no alternative being dead. This is the silver lining for balanced managers like we are here at Davidson Capital Management. This is the silver lining for the retirees for the last 15 years who haven't been able to generate hardly a return on the fixed income side of their portfolio. So, yes, 
all investors are going through pain on the equity side. But this is the silver lining for retirees and bond owners in their portfolio. Higher interest rates. Let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing our recap of Wall Street from last week. And again, the point that I was making at the bottom of the hour break, and as we said at the beginning of the show, Tina, there is no alternative, you know, being dead. Uh, I think I think someone said we were in our portfolio strategy, one of our meetings this week, and said Tina got shot in the leg, and I think Jeff said Tina got shot and run over. Tina's dead. Didn't just get shot in the and, leg. And so did all the doves. Fair enough. The doves, got, the doves got shot all out of the sky this week. Thanks they got to, killed by the hawks. How well, about that? yeah, that's yeah, right. Combination of the inflation hawks, the inflation hawks, hawks. But 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 Too I just wanted doves. I just wanted to reiterate the point for all of our listeners that with all this pain that investors are feeling on the in stocks in the stock market, there is a silver lining in all of this on the fixed income side, on the bond side. Why we have always been a balanced manager at Davidson Capital Management for the last 33 years, and the point that Jeff was making in the first segment of this weekend show is that as interest rates have just been incrementally coming down really since the 1980s, that have had a 40-year bull run in the bond market, and the fact that we're now finally starting to see yields, particularly just in treasuries, let's just focus on treasuries, Yields that we have not seen in 15 years, if you're not going out and starting to take advantage of these higher yields. Now, we're not saying take all of 40 or 50% of your fixed income money and go slam it into yields on Monday. That's not what we're saying. You have to ladder them out. You have to go in incrementally. You have to dollar cost average in because the Fed at this point in time is not done raising rates. So we can you can incrementally increase your yield to maturity in your bond portfolio by dollar cost averaging your purchases in between now and really the end of the year, possibly even into the first quarter of 2023. But this is the silver lining. Balanced portfolios, 60-40, 50-50. We're finally going to see fixed income start to do heavy lifting. And we have talked about it on last weekend's show and the show before that. So there is a silver lining. And I know I just wanted to bring that up because I've had this conversation this past week with several clients about that silver lining longer term. And this is the exact reason why we continued to build our treasury ladder this past week by picking up uh, an allocation in a two-year treasury with over 4% yield and a one-year treasury over 4% yield and still have plenty of cash available to continue to build our ladder and have a 90-day treasury that we bought several weeks back maturing on December the 1st. So we'll have even more cash available to continue to build the bond ladder in our portfolio and take advantage of our yields. Yeah, Joe. 
I had multiple conversations with clients about that this week as well and saying, look, there's a silver lining in here. We can get back to a 60-40 portfolio, a little bit of short-term gain, I mean short-term pain, maybe a little bit longer pain, and I don't want to mention the Fed, to get to the point where we are. The other thing that I think you have to look at perspective when we're doing looking at portfolio reviews is there's 60-40, there's 70-30 portfolios, but there's also a lot of alternatives that are out there. A lot of them are relatively risky just to get that yield that bonds used to give you. And you look at commodities, you look at real estate, you look at private placements. There's a, there's a, a, a myriad of different types of alternatives that people were trying to use to help them get that yield. Well, good, the good news is you can actually probably invest in something that you understand. That's going to be a little less volatile. It's going to get you where you need to be to take that 4 or 5% withdrawal stream when you need it for retirement. And if we're getting 4% and say our clients are taking out 4 or 5%, it's going, to, it's going to smooth out the volatility of the portfolio tremendously for the people that are retiring probably over the next 5 or 10 or 15 years and not put nearly as much pressure, as Kyle talks a lot about, on the stock side and having to be right on every individual stock or sector or industry. You know, Joe, you really bring up a really good point about talking about these alternative investments that have been that are being sold by the legacy distribution system for the last since really post the financial crisis in an effort to capture yield and going in, like you said, riskier private placements, uh, real non-traded real estate investment trusts, which we despise it, of every shape and form. All these different alternative high yield bonds, you know, as high we yield always, loans, you know, high, high yield yeah, loans. That's right, uh, adjustable these, rate loans. All these exotic, all these exotic products that that yeah, you might be able to capture some higher yield, but what level of volatility and risk are you adding to your portfolio? As we have educated on this program from day one, is we do not recommend you use fixed income to add volatility to your portfolio. You own fixed income for two reasons, safety and income. And for us, adding treasuries to our clients' portfolio, riskless, risk-free. The other, thing, the other thing you didn't mention is liquidity with That's, those instruments. That, there, 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 are, there are many issues with liquidity in those instruments. And I want to talk for a second because – we probably have some of our clients listening that have been with us for 20, 30 years. We have not owned treasuries in our portfolios in decades. We have primarily, when we own individual bonds, we own them either as corporate bond and corporate bonds, investment grade corporate bonds, and then for our clients that have uh, tax situations that were required. Texas municipal bonds. What's happening in the fixed income market right now and looking at where we are right now economically, the yield differential between treasuries and investment grade corporate bonds that we would typically invest in, the yield differentials are so small that it that the credit risk that we have in treasuries, which is zero, it's not worth it to, to get 10 or 15 or 20 basis points more by buying an A-rated credit in a corporate with the same maturity range, and you have credit risk. Because I don't know how far – none of us go truly know if we're going back to February 2020 lows 
in the market. If we were to go to February 2020 low, or where we were in February 2020, that's another 8% decline from here, which would make the total decline about 30%, which would make this bear phase, this bear market, about average for the last, I think, 15 different bear markets going back to 1929. that's I've been talking about this line in the sand. We've been talking about this for months, and I thought that was probably the lowest that we would go, is we would go to that point. We're 8% away, and none of us can guarantee we won't go below that. But the reason why we're we're doing these treasuries is because the yields are just – so attractive. And when you have situations like Kyle described in the previous segment or earlier this segment, that you've got governments around the world trying to prop up their currencies and doing that by selling treasuries, which it has, which then moves up the yields, we can take advantage of those yields as investors. Now, the one thing we haven't mentioned is this this ramp up in yields that's accelerated here in the last month has certainly benefited our investment that we put put on the second day of the year being short, meaning we're betting on higher interest rates on longer maturity uh, bond instruments. I think that at one time this week was up 15% for the year. We still have positive bond performance numbers in all of our portfolios, which is unheard of this year. It's like winning the Super Bowl, the World Series, and the Stanley Cup with the same team in the same year. Have I pat ourselves on the back way too much? I just I mean, my arm. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff let me get you a sling. Jeez, <laughs> let me get you a Jeff sling is, for that arm. Jeff is pulling you the had, this is the year. This is the year that you had to be thinking to use some more Wall Street. Out, outside of the you box. You had to be way out of the box. There and, aren't – I doubt there are very few advisors that have been thinking this far out of the box on the bond side of the portfolio this year. And by the way, Jeff, it wasn't the second day of the year. It was day numero okay. uno. I meant, I meant January yeah. 3rd. January 2nd yeah, was 3rd. first trading day of the year. Yeah, yeah. First trading day of the year. So – we put that we put that position in on day one, and, and we, we added incrementally to added to it to take it to a ten percent position, which with growth and capital appreciation has gone above that. But see, that is again where we're going to be able to get some cash when we decide it's time to pull the ripcord, take our profits, and then shift that into more bonds. And what we it, anticipate will be incrementally higher yields. As we get to the end of the year, because I don't think even if we get a CPI handle with a seven, seven and a half or less, I still think the Fed might do one or two more interest rate increases just for good measure. But I, I will I will say I, I truly feel inflation has peaked. The only question is, is how fall, how far and how fast is it going to fall from here? We obviously know the August number wasn't good which triggered this continued selling. But as, as we all know, and just to educate our listeners, there is a lag effect. And I know that the Fed, some analysts and some money managers have really been throwing some shade the, the, uh, towards the Fed, particularly this last week after the 75 basis point increase, saying that they're pushing it a little too far and they just need to pump the brakes a bit and let the previous raise, the five raises they've already done this year, really start to sink their claws into inflation. 
Let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we're in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Um, Jeff, is your arm okay? Your shoulder okay? Do I need to put a sling, a little patent, patent on the back a little, you know, as I say, breaking your arm, patting yourself on the back too much. I'm just kidding. But it is something, it is something that that's very important to, to understand that we have both a negative bond market, a and a negative stock market. We have not seen these two combined markets be at this low level in 50 years. So this is a very abnormal market, and we had to think outside of the box from day one of how we're going to manage through this on the fixed income side and on the equity side and made those dramatic changes beginning day one of this new year. And it has paid off handsomely on the fixed income side having a positive number Yeah, in fixed income. It, yeah, it's always, you know, it's hard to pat yourself on the back um, and tell a client that you, that they have first quartile numbers, meaning they're in the top 25% and have, and have a negative number. Um, But that's the reality of this year. That that's the, that's the reality of managing money. Uh, We have like the federal reserve has their dual mandate. We have our dual mandate and mandate. Number one is to, maximize returns when the market environment gives us the opportunity to maximize return. And when the market environment does not give us uh, the opportunity to maximize returns positively, then we have to play defense. And this year, the best offense has been defense. And we've had to play defense in in very unique ways this year. It, It takes unique ideas to make money uh, in a fixed income environment that th- that's the worst in near anybody. There's no one that's been managing money that's still managing money for 50 years. There isn't anybody in the that's money seen markets business. like this. That's seen, yeah, that, you know, yeah. This is, you got to go back to 73, 74 uh, when we had the stock and the bond market move down as much as it has. And we still have three more months left. And uh, I must, I'll tell you that, you know, the next three weeks ain't great in market history. If y'all use some bad for, English for, for, all, for, from, from a seasonality standpoint. From a seasonality standpoint, this is not a great seasonal time for stocks. Yes, Joe. And, well, if you look at September, and we're three-quarters away through September, September has held true to form. September's usually a pretty bad month. So it has. I mean, it's not always the case, but but it, it's definitely holding true this year. And and I want to I, I want to just talk just briefly about investor emotions. 
because this was, again, parts of some of the conversations I had with clients this past week. Um, and, you know, I texted this to, to a client that we have out in California. And the question I, 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 said, I said to him, I said, I want you to ask yourself this. In the assets that we manage, do you need every single one of these dollars in the next three years, in the next four years, in the next five years? His response, absolutely not. Okay. Okay, so if you don't need every single dollar that we're managing in the next 36, 48, 60 months, then this is where you have to kind of get your emotions in control and take that longer-term view and understand that we are not a set-it-and-forget-it manager. I did a review of a portfolio just a week and a half ago of a set-it-and-forget-it portfolio where it was buy, hold, and forget. And that lack of active management by the advisor's part cost that prospective client, now soon-to-be new client, a lot of money. And it took them to light a fire under their advisor to actually do something, and I commend them for doing that. But they're like, Kyle, we don't want to do that. This is not our job to do. I said, you're absolutely right. This is why you need a registered investment advisor who's a fiduciary who actively manages client assets in-house. This is what we do. But for all of our clients, for all prospective clients, for all listeners, you have to just kind of, again, look at everything from a, to- from, a, from a totality standpoint and realize that if you're saving for retirement, this money is going to be lasting you 15, 20, 25, 30 years. If you're in retirement, these assets are going to be lasting you well past this cycle. This is our third true bear market this century. And if memory serves me correct, going back to the Great Depression, I think this is bear market number 26. So since the Great Depression, 26 true bear markets that we have had. But the one data point I really want to drive home is that bull markets, you know, Jeff, you know the statistic. What's the average length of of a bear market typically? Uh, including 1929, it's it's uh, 14 months. 14 months. Okay, that's the let's just say average bear market. That's the average 14, bear market. 14 months. So we're approaching month number 10, right? Yes. Yeah. The average bull market lasts just under three years, on average, going back to the Great Depression. So the point that I'm trying to make is that yes, we're still in that storm, but I personally feel that the clouds are starting to get a little bit lighter. Waters, as time goes on through the end of this year, will start to be uh, less vicious, a little less choppy, and we will get through this. And I hate to use the old saying that we've talked about on this program, keeping that long-term perspective, but you really have to. You know, and if you're working with an advisor who's actively managing your money, making those day-to-day decisions, coming up with outside-of-the-box strategies, outside-of-the-box thinking, has the experience of being in the trenches, who's managed money through previous bear markets, through financial crisis, through the dot-com bubble bursting, managing money in a higher interest rate environment, in a lower interest rate environment, you have to rely on them and that team and that experience to get you through to the other side of the storm. Because I promise each and every one of our listeners, we will get to the other side of the storm. You have to keep your emotions in check. You have to realize you don't need every single dollar in your portfolio in the next 12 months. 
So you have to take that longer-term perspective. And as we've always educated on this program, that emotions within an investor will do more damage to their portfolio over the long term than any bear market can or ever will. And that you can definitely take to the bank on that statement. So keep those emotions in check. Take that longer-term perspective. If you feel that your advisor is not doing what they've sold you on that they were going to be doing, that's when you need to take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis. And we offer that here at Davidson Capital Management. And you can give us a call, 800-275-2162. With that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys, be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours uh, of every weekend's MoneyWise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chocked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues? Because I guess it's kind of like, getting your high school diploma maybe we call this this is the way you get your retirement diploma is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade and we'll i guess we'll, we'll go with 75 percent. 75 percent is passing grade on this quiz so i think we just kick it off with question number one now research by fidelity investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age 67 
in order to meet basic income needs in retirement? Now, this question has been – we've heard so many different – is it four times? Is it five times? Is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary. B is six times the salary. C is eight times the salary, or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And the answer to that question is answer C, eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurdly large, honestly. $800,000. Well, Think about $800,000. Now, remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made $10,000 a year back in the late 60s. It's called inflation, Papa Son. I I know that, but but, but when you see this number, uh, $800,000, I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey. And so... I guess what I'm saying is I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that. I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember, the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the MoneyWise program like we do, is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement and have I saved enough? Am I doing enough towards my retirement? Uh, and if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little, that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents, our grandparents didn't have eight hundred thousand dollars when they retired, and they they lived. actually actually my 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 grandfather probably did have well, eight hundred thousand. But but I, but I'm thinking about. Your parents yes. and, no, mom, no. and mom's no. parents. I'm, no, th- I'm, no, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last 25 years. Yes, yes. No, that's true. And they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what, I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle is. I, when, I think when, this no, number no, no, scares me, people. Well, I, and it does. It is a scary number. It, it, but, it is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year. 
And we think that that's awfully low. And we think the reason they set it at 4% is, one, so that they could continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible, to keep as much money on their on their in their care and control, if you will, so they could keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out, so that we can again collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two, a popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%. Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, people no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire? And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Dot com. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz, kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement, and the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And, I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up. Because you think it's too overwhelming? It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for 28-year-old people after they've been out in the world I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So, in high school, maybe, and you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics one hundred and one should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz. Let, to let's take. flash back. I'm in the you know I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. 
I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And, and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. Mm-hmm. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them wherever they go. Wherever they go. And but, so, but they have to participate. But they have to participate. And so what I'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers, I, I fear that most of the people, the baby boomers, are the first 10 years of the baby boomers, they're done. They were in these same plans. They didn't start their 401Ks until the 80s. There's no way in the world they've got these kind of numbers. They just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not, not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand-new cars yeah. in, in the garage you know, in the real world, most of the most of the people who, when they retire, their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, 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 and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like they you're have talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pensions usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, no. is is it bad to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid 50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, focus on you know reducing loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because see that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with Mm -hmm. your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been 
and I've been, uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it, and so it makes our our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So, question number three. Question number three. What percentage of surveyed workers aged 55 and above said they or their spouse have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement? A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty-two. It was up from forty-two percent in two thousand and three. So, the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do, and I hope that we're part of getting that number up. Absolutely, and and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project, you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators, and you can spend all day having fun with calculations, and the computer program does everything for you, and it's free of charge. Also, one other thing I didn't say, I think the 92 is really a ridiculously high number. As far as living? Yes. If you look at the actuarial charts, though, Dad, right now, someone age 65, they have a better than 50% chance to live well into their 80s uh, with modern advances in medicine. So uh, you can disagree with it, but I the totally disagree. Are there. I think that I mean there is very few people are going to live to be ninety two. Very, very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So, question number four: Among workers age fifty five plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement, and what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you make uh, okay, $50,000, right, right. Gra- it's 400000 But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get more than one in four people to have $250,000. I know. That's why we're doing this survey, to no. really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to, to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, and, and debt reduction bandwagon. A quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live 18 years plus plus 
past the age of 65. All of a sudden, you put 20 years into $250,000. That's not a lot of money. That's about 12500 a year. Yeah. That's not, that's, you're not going to be on it's any a grand needs. a month. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. So th- that's, why, that's why when we're talking these numbers, this is the more sobering number to me. I mean, see, the 800 number just goes over my head. What I want to focus on and what our listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. Not if you live 15, 20 years in retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't pay. No, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you you think you're going to live you got to watch your actuarials and see where they are and you have to plan accordingly you think people are going to live to be in their 90s uh, no 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 they're statistically i mean these are I'm statistics just, i'm spouting. i'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92 no that that's that's absolutely true and only one in four have got that number that's well no and, and what's what's even worse though is this is 36% of of age 55 plus 36% of this group have reported to have saved less than $10,000 now that that is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour so we're going to take the break going to the news when we come back we'll be continuing so you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we're continuing the quiz that came out of the wall street journal think you're ready to retire that's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz and we've gotten to question number five now, question number five is, what is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired? And what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 60, 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re, one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recoveries past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on it. Because if we've, got, if we've got 36% of the 55-plus age demographic that have saved less than $10,000 for retirement, how can they actually retire? 
The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of Social Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying the number right now is 61. And for for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what what was what was amazing though, I think, in this last question though, is that the average age of current retirees, they stopped at sixty one. They Which retired at sixty one before they before could before they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security, and now and now workers are currently thinking about age 66. I mean, I which think it would be after the majority of them start being able to collect. And, and here's something else that's interesting about this statistic. Remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s. So they worked 10, 12, 14 years before a 401k even existed. That's true. And and, and really IRAs had not been around that long. And so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every, you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that, that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age... 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they, they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? And the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning. The large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for uh, say they have worked for pay in in retirement. So I mean that when sixty nine percent are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality only twenty five percent do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part time side job and and earn money that way. Well, this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that. But very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%, C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age. And the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, reduce expenses. So we're just talking about and hang on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how? No, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah. One in four. So how could only fifty three? How is it that fifty three percent have enough savings? 
That can't be. The number should be 26, 25. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National no, Retirement no. Risk Index what at the I, Center what, what for I'm Retirement saying. Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies, everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing the few we're seeing that one in four that has saved mm-hmm. that has got this money but you've got this other group that are relying on social security and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it that's right when and there's enough uh and, and, and now we're we're going to get the politics now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the 60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable, Unaffordable Care Act, Health Act? I mean, we don't know. <laughs> and so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon, which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is, is going to stay the same. Well, Excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can. And now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. Hold my water. Fourteen percent, B seventeen percent, C twenty percent, or D twenty three percent. And the answer is D twenty three percent. The average life expectancy for a sixty five year old is nineteen point one years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day. How many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, I'm <laughs> saying baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's going to skew Social Security it, it's benefits It's going to skew whatnot. entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that, while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the Poseidon. Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year in 2013, how much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, 
the re, but the remaining significantly larger than most. Now this number is is significantly we larger. We don't know than most now. than most consumers estimate. And a Fidelity poll of pre-retirees age fifty-five to sixty-four found that nearly forty-eight percent believe that they will only need fifty thousand dollars to pay health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical it. costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into you know what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of <clears throat> medical care, like a visit to a emergency room, and what that can cost two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. That number is too low. Whatever that number is, I'd believe eight hundred thousand before I'd believe two hundred thousand <laughs> because the truth is. We don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control, and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, we want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This the, is easy. Yeah, it well, actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A, 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, num- that's, that's, that's we have shockingly been, you know, low. Well, well, we have been on we have been on for a long time talking about low, particip- low participation rates in 401ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution well, on lo- top lo- of that. Yeah, and you, when you add those two together... Then you're. Then it's very easy to see how someone, how we have, what was it, thirty some odd, thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz. A household age 65 is living on $120,000 a year, and at 3% inflation, 
How much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I can answer that okay, question, Jeff. At age 75 with 3% inflation, you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation, why they're continuing to accept extremely low returns, in this low interest rate environment, by having high allocations to fixed income on in their portfolios, that, that's right, and that inflation is eroding purchasing power. Let me put it in a simpler way: five thousand dollar grocery bill today would cost over nine thousand dollars in twenty years. And I used to use also that car example: what your sixty-seven fastback cost versus what the average cost uh, of a car. Thirty-six hundred. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over thirty thousand dollars. That's inflation. Uh, question number 12, what percentage of households age 65 through 74 carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is 41% carry housing debt and 32% carry credit card debt. Now, this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000 according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those, 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day -day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day -day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, long, a younger, longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s, and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000. Don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start yeah. saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have you know, a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that, that are, I think, in, in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and and be much more comfortable. 
Now, that's not to say for those for those of us that are list that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is that time, is time is time on your side? Well, you know, you you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you just give up, sit on your hands, and, and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401k that you have at, have at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been to a many, like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not, having, participating. not participating in the, in the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to, to start to make a change. And, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key, and pay yourself first, and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line, and so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. And so if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in, 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 in retirement, if you want to get a a, a and look at your retirement plan and see if am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.